Hello and welcome to Dairy Dialogue, the podcast on the dairy and dairy alternatives industries. This is number 153 and it's one of two podcasts I'll be producing this week. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and the reason for making two this week is not because I've gone crazy, I probably already was, but no, it's because for podcast 154, I'll be on my way back from Nordrhein-Westfalen, the region of Germany that includes Cologne, where Anuga is being held. It starts this weekend, and if I can overcome all the hurdles, I'll be there. And those hurdles are quite crazy. I'd like to think I'm reasonably smart, but trying to figure out things like COVID passports, vaccination proof, day two testing on return to the UK, forms to fill in for every country that I'll visit, including transiting ones, there's just so much to do. It includes having to book that test for when I return to the country, and of course the nearest centre is more than an hour away. And these tests aren't cheap. The UK government website has a list of companies and their prices range from a few pounds to hundreds of pounds. And the reviews of some of the companies are, to be honest, awful. So I chose one that I knew the name of and hopefully it all works out. Speaking of money, some airlines are also hitting passengers with more expensive and restrictive baggage rules. And to pay for parking cost me twice as much as it did the last time I travelled. So the cost of travelling has definitely gone up, and the next time that I go somewhere, I'll be a little more aware, and not just jumping at the cheapest price for things. Anyway, if you're at Anuga as well, let me know in advance, and we can do an interview. But I do guarantee if there's a US confectionery company there that sells jujubes, I'm going to ask, can we chat Anuga jujubes? Sorry. Because of putting two podcasts together, the second of which I'll tackle on Friday, I've been doing a lot of interviews, as you can well imagine. My voice is just about holding up, and it would be better if I'd stop singing. My son wishes that too. He's always telling me I can sing a song about any word he says and then defeats his purpose by testing me on it, which of course means I sing more. It's been a wet week. And against my instinct, the heating has been on as well, as it's now chilly at night and warm during the day. And we had some weird cloud formations over the village as well. We do have a cloud book that's inventively called the cloud book. And of course, it could be any one of about 10 different ones. Cumulonimbus capillatus or Cumulonimbus calvus or, well, there's quite a few it could have been, so I'm still none the wiser really. I'm much better at identifying sports logos in online quizzes. Speaking of sports, the baseball season's over now, unless you're a fan of one of the teams that made postseason. Still, there's the NFL, CFL, soccer, and the NHL season starts next week, so it's not like the television won't be on constantly. Not that I want to give the impression that that's all I do when I'm not working. I do walk a lot, and while I'm in Cologne, I should complete my 1,000 miles challenge, which is walking 1,000 miles for the year, or 1,600 kilometers. So I've done it with a couple of months to spare but that doesn't mean that I'll stop walking and start getting the bus and taxis. Or maybe it just means I'm cheap. Anyway, let's get to this week's podcast, which I assume is why you're here and not to hear me prattling on about clouds and COVID tests. So this week we have interviews with Christy Chavis, Vice President at DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, Sajid Sufi, Director Sales and Marketing at Sapphire Dairies, and Nima Bahrami, CEO and founder of Better Mood. We also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. And that means it's time for the news you may have missed, hopefully not deliberately. The latest FAIR report says alternative proteins are on the rise, Packaging company Packor joined the Styrenix Circular Solutions and has also created a digital ecosystem. And Turtle Tree opened its R&D facility in Greater Sacramento. Lactali completed the acquisition of Leerdama and Shostka. We had our roundup of September new launches, quite a bit of pumpkin in there. And Canadian cooperative Agropur is expanding its plant in Wisconsin. Sinlay launched its first own brand recyclable swapper bottle. Good news for the ice cream industry in the UK as the ice cream show is back in February. And the Development Bank of Wales invested in the growth of an artisan cheese company. 
You can read all of these and many more at dairyreporter.com. And that brings us to the first of today's guests, and we're kicking off with our first visit to a company in Pakistan. Sapphire Dairies is located there, and it has just launched a ready-to-drink latte complete with local milk. Sajid Sufi, Director of Sales and Marketing at Sapphire Dairies, can tell us more about the company, its products, the dairy industry in Pakistan, and about the new latte. So I guess the first question would be a bit of background, if you could tell me about Sapphire Dairies. Yeah, so Sapphire as a group has been around quite some time. The group is primarily based on textile industry. It's a large group. It's a billion-dollar conglomerate. Uh, the Sapphire Dairy started with the Sapphire Farm, Revive Farms, we call it, uh, back in 2009. That's where we got our first herd of uh, cows. And the processing side started in 2019. And so what products do you have? So there are a few products in Pakistan that are pretty big in the dairy industry. The ambient white milk, the plain milk, standardized at 3.5% fat, that's pretty popular. Then there are tea creamers, slightly higher percentage of fat. Like coffee creamers, we have tea creamers here because tea is pretty big here. Majority of the consumption of milk is done in adults for tea creaming purpose. So that's pretty big here. Then there's a flavored milk category here for kids and young adults. These are a few big uh, categories in Pakistan. We are in all three categories and we've actually ventured into the new latte category in which uh, earlier there was only one player, Nestle was there. And the flavored milk that you mentioned, what flavors are popular in Pakistan? Well, there are a few traditional flavors that are very popular. For instance, mango is popular. Mango is pretty big in Pakistan. In beverages and all sorts of beverages, mango is pretty popular because I think it adheres to the local taste buds. It's sweet. Uh, So mango is pretty popular. Strawberry is uh, really popular. Chocolate is doing good. Then there's another flavor, almond and saffron. Uh, That's also very popular flavor. Are the tastes different in the different parts of the country? Like in in the north of the country, would the tastes be different to like, you know, Karachi, Hyderabad in the south? Well, for standardized and packaged milk, the tastes are pretty similar throughout the country because their processing plants have the same formula, they have the same taste. But traditionally, if you talk about tastes, yes, taste priorities are different in different areas. For instance, Karachi might have popularity for one flavor, Whereas, uh, you know, North or KPK might have a priority for different flavor. So the local tastes vary, but the tastes are standardized for these products in Pakistan. And your products, are they sold throughout Pakistan and are they sold in any other countries? Currently, we're only selling in Pakistan because we've just recently started. Uh, We're working on our processing capacity. We're increasing our processing capacity. Currently, Uh, We're only available in Pakistan. There are a few cities, important cities, that are still left for rollout. But hopefully, they'll be done within this year once we have additional capacity. Uh, Otherwise, uh, Afghanistan is a big user for Pakistani dairy products because, unfortunately, there aren't many dairy plants set up in Afghanistan. So a lot of products from Pakistan go directly to Afghanistan for a lot of companies. So that's the main usage for Pakistani dairy products. And for us, we're available in majority Pakistan, and we're going to be rolling out in a few cities within a span of a few months. So all national reach. Busy times then. That's good. Um, Yes. Yeah. I wonder if you could tell me something about the overall dairy sector in Pakistan, you know, how much imports and what the infrastructure is like for collection, processing, that kind of thing. Right. So Pakistan uh, primarily is a large user of uh, dairy. And uh, unfortunately, the packaged milk industry is still less than 10% of this entire business. Uh, The loose milk category, which you may call it, is still more than 90%. The collection part is pretty interesting. There are small farmers who have 
herds of animals, small herds of animals. The majority of collection of milk is done through those small herds. There is a milk collection unit that collects all this milk for different companies or different loose milk category. What happens is uh, loose milk is made primarily sold through delivery vans or outlets in major cities. And the collection for them and the companies are done through these small herds of animals. And this is done through chilled range. And there are chilled sectors identified in different areas where there's large collection of herds. Once the milk comes in, then it goes forward for processing. And then there are two processes being used. One is pasteurization. The other one is UHD for packaged milk. For the loose milk category, it's sold as it is. Um, majority of them is sold as it is collected without any pasteurization or UHD. That's the back end of it. It's a large uh, consumption as large as well as large producer of milk. Pakistan is uh, probably, I think, fifth or sixth largest producer of milk in the world. And we're also one of the largest consumers of milk in the world. This is for one category. Then there's a, the imports are primarily for skim milk powder. And that product is used in the tea whitening category and also in the loose category as well. Full milk powder is full cream milk powder is also imported. And uh, because of the large consumption pattern in Pakistan, this is a major component of dairy usage. And these are the main components of the supply as well as the demand. You mentioned some of the products that you produce earlier. Are, are those the most popular dairy products in Pakistan? Yes, they are the most popular ones. We also have a cheese setup. Uh, we have mozzarella cheese. Uh, we do that frequently. Uh, cheese is also popular. Then there's yogurt that's very popular in Pakistan. So you can't have a milk shop, for instance, the 90% of usage of the loose milk, they must have yogurt as well. We're a large yogurt consumption uh, nation. So these are the main components that are used. We're not into yogurt yet, but the other products we are in, and that's a major demand for all those products. How important is sustainability right now in Pakistan in the dairy sector and with your company? See, the packaged milk industry is pretty large on sustainability. There are two major players that are working in the packaged milk industry, Ecoline being one of them. The other one is Tetra Pak. Uh, so Tetra Pak has initiatives with uh, all its players, all its uh, companies it's working with, with FSC, primarily for sustainability. Similarly, in Ecoline, you know, it's a pretty big thing about sustainability, the recyclability, the space it uses, the carbon footprint. So when it comes to the packaged milk industry, it's pretty big on sustainability because it has worked with international players from day one. Uh, and they've been pretty big on sustainability. And that's how the industry has shaped as well. And what about the plant-based sector? Is that taking hold in Pakistan as well? It is, but it's very niche, very small yet because we're majority buffalo or cow milk uh, consumption uh, nation. Uh, there are plant-based products available, primarily being imported. Uh, the sector is growing, but it's still a very niche, very small segment. The reason for the interview, I guess, in a lot of respects, is the fact that you have a new product. Or if you could tell me something about the new Cafe True. Yeah, Cafe True is a, a unique blend of uh, Arabica and Robusta coffee extracts. And uh, because we use uh, pure farm milk, uh, which is very high-quality milk, so it's a unique blend of uh, all those things. And the unique selling proposition for this kind of packaging and solution is that Ecoline allows us is that you can, you can warm it up as well. So you can serve it hot or cold. It becomes a good option for discerning coffee drinkers. So you can warm it up in the microwave or you could just chill it in the chiller or freezer or refrigerator. And you can drink it whatever way you want. Uh, it's a very unique product. It's different from the main competition we have here is because we use 100% pure farm milk for this product. Uh, we use real Arabica and Robusta coffee extracts, combine them and you get a unique and very flavorful product. And then you can have the option of drinking it hot and cold 
And that's the liberty that Equaline provides us. Who is it targeted at? Yeah, it's primarily targeted at uh, young adults. That's a big segment of our, you know, demographics right now. Almost 40% of our population is under 30 years of age. So big, uh, booming population, large consumers, and with varying tastes. And they want to experiment with new products. And so it's very exciting times for the dairy sector. We're rolling it out everywhere. I mean, the main uh, usage is, of course, uh, limited to uh, large grocery outlets and, you know, self-help stores, Carrefour's, hypermarkets, and where we find such usage. But it's not restricted just to that. It's also available in smaller outlets because we find users all over Pakistan. Uh, the age which we are targeting is spread all over Pakistan. And the packaging itself is very interesting and attractive. Is it an ambient product or is it a chilled product? It's an ambient product because it passes through UHT process. The packaging solution provides us is it's microwavable, uh, which, you know, unfortunately, the other players that are present here, they don't have that option, but we have that option. And it's an interesting packaging and the consumers are really liking this packaging solution as well as a product because uh, it's really really uh, interesting mix of farm milk and coffee which wasn't really available earlier and now they have it and uh, we're happy to provide that usually you know you have to uh, get the coffee from the coffee machine but now it's available here if, even if you don't have a coffee machine at home or at work you can just use this and try that and coffee usage is increasing as I mentioned, the younger adults are open to new products in the country. And earlier tea is very popular, very, very popular. The breakfast tea with milk. But coffee is fast increasing in its usage in Pakistan amongst the target audience. And this provides a very good solution to them. And in terms of the packaging, could you tell me a little bit about the partnership that you have with Ecoline? Yeah, so Ecoline is a very strategic partner for Sapphire Dairies. Uh, we have uh, all our portfolio in Ecoline packaging. It entails somewhere around 70 to 80% of our current portfolio, at least, in terms of volumes. It provides us with a lot of options that, you know, other platforms uh, lack currently. We are very happy to work with Ecoline in, uh, with such unique launches. Because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, it provides more options for the customers uh, than conventional packaging. So you can warm it up, you can drink it cold, and it's very handy and uh, it's very stable packaging, good for long life products. And that's something which we need in a, in a country like Pakistan, where there are long geographical areas and you need to get your product in those placed in chillers and you have the liberty that you know you can take three to four months for the product shelf life and people can enjoy it. And so what are the plans for the company in the short term and the long term? Well the short term we intend to increase our geographical range for availability of our products and in the medium and the long term we want to get into more of the dairy sector we want to experiment with uh, other beverage sectors as well. For instance, juices, that's pretty big in Pakistan as well. We're largely focused on uh, youth and young adults of Pakistan. So we will come out with uh, different options for them, unique options, new options, as well as conventional options, but more focused on new options because these are trialists. They want to try new products. And Ecoline and Sapphire Dairies are focused on giving them all those options that they aspire, they look at, they see in different countries, and they can have it here as well and uh, enjoy. So we want to go in the uh, ambient as well as the chilled category. Chilled category is something which we are uh, yet to roll out, but we intend to be in all sorts of categories for dairy as well as beverages sector. Next, it's to a new company in Canada, British Columbia to be precise, and that company is Better Mood. We speak with Nima Bahrami, CEO and founder of the company. 
All right, so I guess to start, if you could give me a little bit of background on the company. We're a plant-based dairy alternative company. We wanted to, you know, really get into that market and be a dairy alternative provider for everybody and provide all sorts of different products, not just our mood drink, which is going to be our first product, which is a uh, plant-based milk. What we wanted to do with the mood drink was, you know, we wanted to create a unique product that uh, wasn't available on the market. We wanted to capture the flavors that exist in the Alps. We did a lot of research and noticed that, you know, the cows, what they eat and where they live really impacts the flavor of the milk and the products that come from the milk, which is why, you know, in that region, the cheese and the milk are really well known for being the best in the world. So what we really wanted to do was try and include that in our plant-based beverage, uh, you know, include those herbs and create a unique product that, you know, had those great flavors, was nutritious and healthy and creamy and rich and, you know, allowed people to be able to have a nice milk replacement product. And so what's the difference between better mood and mood drink? So Better Mood is our actually is our branding. It's our actual company name, and we are going to have other products under Better Mood. So we will have uh, you know different flavors of the Mood Drink. Uh, Mood Drinker is just our original flavor, uh, and then we're going to roll out other products as well, like uh, Moogurt, which will be our yogurt, Better, which will be our butter, and we're looking at really you know being able to provide all sorts of dairy replacement products: uh, sour cream, creme fraiche, ice cream. We're working with formulators and scientists to be able to use the most innovative uh, technologies available you know it's always changing and there's new products coming out new plant-based items that you can use to create products so we're really trying to you know focus on that and try and include our herb blend into our products at the same time but also be innovative and be willing to be open and use different uh, products for our product creation why did you introduce this particular product and mood drink first we noticed that there is a lot of products on the market, but we thought that starting with a drink will allow us to sort of build that base because we think there's a lot of uses for the drink. You know, you can use it for your coffee, your cereal, cooking, and people are using it more and more for their daily uses in all sorts of different purposes. So we wanted to, you know, bring out an all-purpose sort of product first to show, you know, what we stand for and then build on that once we have a little bit of following. And as you just mentioned, there's lots of different plant-based alternatives out there on the market and about 50 different bases from oats all the way through to potato. Now, what, what makes this stand out from the others? Uh, it's really our unique herb blend that we've created, that we've formulated with our formulators through our research. And like I mentioned, it's the same herbs that would be available to the cows living in the Alps, for example. You know, they're able to eat the different grasses and herbs and flowers that are available there. And, you know, we noticed that that really changes the flavors of the dairy products that these produce. And we wanted to be able to provide people with a dairy alternative that they can actually make a change from dairy so that they can, you know, be happy with the taste and the flavor profile and the richness of the product that they're consuming. I know that different milks around the world have different flavors and characteristics according to the flora in that particular region is that something that you may develop different products based on some of these variations yes actually uh, that's one thing that we've looked into recently what we want to actually do is we want to provide our mood drink with versions on it so we've worked on a bunch of different versions of the mood drink to perfect what it is what we're going to actually release and we're open to creating new versions depending on people's feedbacks and all the new things that come out that allow us to be more innovative so we want to be open to that and we would love to be able to you know capture different flavors and be able to satisfy the needs of all people across the world with the things that they actually enjoy. So that is definitely something that we would look at. Another limiting factor, I think, for a lot of plant-based dairy alternatives is price. Are you able to keep it attractive for consumers? Yeah. So one thing that we really wanted to do was to be able to be an all-inclusive brand. We really want to be able to say, hey, you know, we support vegans, we support vegetarians, we support everybody that wants to make a change and wants to make a difference for the animals and the planet. So, you know, we really wanted to try and hit a price range that would be affordable for everybody based on that inclusivity. So that is definitely a goal for us going forward that we want to be a competitive price. And how would you describe the taste of it? Is it fairly neutral? I think it's very, very close to the taste of milk. Uh, it has very, very good, rich, creamy texture, and the flavor profile is very, very nice and neutral so that it can be used in different products with different purposes. So we want, we really wanted to be able to capture, you know, the flavors that we're talking about from the Alps and, you know, what a cow eats and a human needs. But what we wanted to do was actually make it so that 
people can use it for everything. If it was too earthy or too herbal, then that would cause some problems there. And we didn't want to have that. So we wanted to have those factors included, but make it a nice, rich, creamy replacement that can be used for everything. And how is it actually created in terms of the ingredients and the process? So in terms of the formulations, we're using organic gluten-free oats as the base, and we're enriching it with uh, healthy fats and vitamins as well. And uh, the herb blend isn't something that I can get into just yet, but we will definitely be releasing information on that going forward. And is it available on shelf yet? We're working really hard to launch the product with the global pandemic. It's made things a little bit slower than we would like, but we're working very hard behind the scenes to get the product out. We're looking at actually releasing it on our website first and then having the opportunity to discuss with some retailers after that. And will that be initially Canada or the US as well? So it will be initially Canada. Uh, It'll be Canada-wide available first. And we are actually looking at uh, expanding out into the U.S. as well as Europe uh, are definitely in our primary goals. What are the plans for increasing the distribution and for new product launches in terms of timelines? Yeah, so um, shortly after when we release the mood drink, uh, we're going to have uh, three new flavors come out as well. We wanted to you know, incorporate more organic flavors into our products. So we're going to do organic matcha, chai latte, and a vanilla flavor as well. Those are our preliminary plans for the different flavors of the mood drink. Uh, and then we're also formulating our Moogurt and our Better Butter at the same time. So that stuff is all occurring in the, in behind the scenes. So we're getting ready to be able to launch the mood drink and then shortly after have the flavors, then after that go with the Moogurt and the Butter, depending on when each of them become available. And then as far as the distribution, now uh, we have some really great consultants uh, that can help us get into some major retailers. And, uh, you know, we have some really good plans uh, to be able to do that and be able to get the distribution out as wide as we can. Do you have an estimated time for when this is going to hit shelves? Uh, We're hoping that it will be by the end of 2021. That is our goal. But like I said, uh, unfortunately, with the global pandemic, things have definitely slowed down. And, uh, you know, we're trying our best to make sure that it can get out there as soon as possible so that people can enjoy it. And of course, getting the thing onto shelves is one thing, but how with all of those other products out there, how are you going to or how are you already communicating about the product to potential consumers? So we have a really great social media team. Julia Thompson is our social media coordinator, and I think she's done a fantastic job helping us build our Instagram and our social profile. We're really trying to get out there and tell people about our product before we launch so that people are aware that this new cool product is coming out. And, uh, you know, we want to be an inclusive brand. So we really want to try and capture everybody and not just vegans. Uh, We wanted to have something that's available to all. And we wanted people to be able to have something that they can rely on that they can enjoy no matter what their regular choices are because we think you know one small change can make a really big difference in the big picture and how can people get more information if you want to follow us our instagram is bettermood.d on on instagram and our website is bettermood.com you can keep posted uh, to see you know any updates uh, on our product release dates and further products coming out And, uh, you know, I really look forward to more and more people getting to test our product. You can also sign up for test packages um, on our website as well. We're doing a free test package giveaway so that we can have people try it and get more and more feedback on our product uh, when it's ready to go. And now in a wide ranging interview, we're going to learn in a bit of depth about DSM's new animal nutrition and health business division. The division's new innovations, such as methane inhibitor Bovair, as well as initiatives with data-driven decision-making tools for farmers like Sustel. Also, how DSM recently announced new commitments to address urgent societal and environmental challenges linked to how the world produces and consumes food. We chatted with Christy Chavis, Vice President at DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, And I started out by asking Christy for her impressions on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's most recent report. Yeah, Jim. Boy, wasn't that a stark reminder to everyone just how our current production methods of animal protein cannot continue as usual. I mean, to me, it was a report that highlighted two urgent requirements around the emissions to to limit our global warming temperatures and really to reconcile the amount of nutrition available 
for the population. We have been spending a lot of time internally thinking about this dichotomy that we have within food and nutrition. So you have, on one hand, a very large population that's obese, but yet undernourished in some areas, and then the poverty and the hunger that exists in other areas. And so I think in general, it's been a call for us to look at how are we setting up our business and where are these efforts that we can focus to ensure that we are focusing on health for people, health for animals, and health for the planet. Animal agriculture, obviously one of the biggest sources of greenhouse gases, and not just greenhouse gas. There's also the associated issues of increased land use, water use. What do you think can be done? And especially with reference to your company, what can be done to mitigate some of those issues? Yeah, this is something that we spend a lot of time focused on to see how can we influence this from a number of different angles. The first one, of course, is with our research efforts, how can we provide feed additives to the industry to help bring down the emissions coming out. And of course, our Bovair product is one that has received quite a bit of attention in the media that can reduce methane emissions up to 30% in cows, which in turn can help slow the warming process. Of course, we have some other products in our portfolio as well. Technologies that have been around for a long time, such as proteases, carbohydrates, where we can get more nutrients out of the existing feedstuffs that go into the diet. All of these things can be leveraged to have a more precise approach to the nutrition of the animal so you can reduce the excess that that may be going in. And of course, that phosphorus and nitrogen comes out the back end if it's overfed and and it's a cost. Those are some of the more traditional approaches that we have taken towards this challenge of reducing emissions in the overall impact of animal production on the environment. But one of the other areas I'd like to talk about is one that I'm particularly keen on is called Sestel. And Sestel is approach, it's basically an environmental footprint calculator that helps us to understand what the current farm print is from an environmental sustainability and profitability perspective. In all of these conversations, what's super important is that we have a metric. And so we know what is changing. Are we able to reduce the amount of emissions and what that impact is? And so we can implement all sorts of technologies, working with farmers and feeding their cows on adding feed additives. And at the end of the day, we all need to know, is it having an impact. What is the difference? And so that's what I'm most excited about. And I think about the things that we're doing at DSM because we have the feed additives and that traditional research in the enzymes space, looking at gut health enzymes, the new innovative areas around Bovair, and now bringing in a tool such as Sestel to be able to measure it. And this is really important because in reality, we're going to have to understand are we making a difference or not? And the Sassel program, we've worked with an independent consultant. We're using all of the latest and the, the LEAP approved methodology and the algorithms to understand what are the impacts of different modeling. If it is not just a feed perspective, but really looking at that production to understand what is the farm print from an environmental standpoint. And what sort of timescales are you looking at with that in terms of getting data and being able to use the data? Well, the great news is we have it now. We've just launched Sestel. We are utilizing it with a limited number of customers at this point, um, because as you can imagine, with anything that involves 19 different variables and understanding all of the inputs on a farm and how they can influence the ultimate environmental farm print, that's a lot of data that we're managing. We're building those systems in. And so we're working with quite a few producers at the moment and then able to provide in turn that farm print back. And so then as we go forward, we can work with the customers and saying, okay, if you're adding a feed additive, how has that changed the farm print? What does that mean? There are other variables as well. As we look at expanding Sestel, the way Sassel can measure throughout the chain, that'll be an important advancement for us as well, because then we can plug in 
different environmental footprints for feedstuffs, for example, because there's quite a bit of variation in terms of those feedstuffs that can come in, especially as a corn or soybeans or from different locations. And was it irrigated land or not? How far did it travel? So there's a big input there as well. And so Sistel is something that we will be looking to scale up quite aggressively here in the very near future. It's part of the business line where we are focused on precision because again, anything that can be more customized, more precise in its approach and how we can then combine that with our traditional feed additive and vitamin businesses. And is that something that is applicable to different sized farms and farms in different locations? Because obviously a farm in Switzerland would be different to a farm in Africa and to a farm in the US. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's also why we need a tool such as this, because there's so many differences, especially the geographies that you just mentioned. Um, And especially if you're comparing it to a thousand head dairy in California versus a 20 head dairy in Switzerland, you're going to have a very different environmental farm print in in the emissions from that. And so being able to do that accurately, and so this is the importance of metrics, being able to have, have clear metrics. And so the way that we worked with the algorithm and build it, it does take into effect those many different variables that have been discussed in the UN forums. And so that we have a very objective way to be able to measure that farm print. And there's many things that can be done to model it from a management standpoint that can be impacted. And so again, this is a tool that once you know where you stand, then you can start working to improve it. And oftentimes I think you know the industry feels a bit paralyzed because we'll, you know, we're looking at okay, what are the options? So yes, I understand that that emissions is a very important thing to look at and see how we can reduce our emissions. But I think a lot of producers feel a bit lost as to what tools do they have available to do that? Feed additives are coming. Those can have an impact, but there's also other management practices that they can do, especially looking at the feedstuffs, as I just mentioned. And so this gives you a place to start and you know where your baseline is and then how to make improvements going forward. You think about how, especially after that report, there's going to be more scrutiny. Let's hope there's going to be more involvement from the private sector. I would expect more government regulations coming into play here. Metrics and reporting will be very important going forward. As you said, it must be very confusing for farmers to have not just what they're dealing with on a daily basis, but I know you have products for methane reduction, but there are many different products for that. There are different feeds. There are so many different factors in play at the moment. It must be very difficult for them to know exactly where they stand and what is going to make the most positive difference. Absolutely. You know, this is an area that will continue to be under scrutiny. Livestock emissions from animals is accounting for 14.5% of all the human-derived greenhouse gas emissions. And then, of course, methane, naturally produced from the cows, is a big, big source of this. So at the same time, you know, the population is growing, trying to meet these food demands. You know, we've got to figure out a way to be able to raise the amount of food that we're producing for the growing population, but at the same time, be able to do it differently, be able to do it in a way that it doesn't have the emissions that it has today. And there are many, many ways that we're looking at to produce food more sustainably in the future as well. Of course, the the emissions is a big focus for us as well. Also looking at ways that we can reduce food loss and waste, again, through feed additives and innovation. and, And that is an area of opportunity because there's a lot of food waste that happens today. And that's already has a big impact on the environment if you can just make some subtle improvements there. Improving lifetime performance of animals is also another variable that we remain quite focused on. And so we've got six sustainability areas where we look at all of our research efforts to try to ladder to. So is it something that can be an antibiotic alternative? For one, is it an innovation effort in the area of, does it reduce food loss in the chain? Does it increase our efficiency? Can we then reduce the emissions, whether it's, um, again, through through Bavare, through an enzyme, through another gut health product? You know, what are all of the tools that we can put together and then understand what the impact is? And of course, now that we've got an ability to measure that, it gives us a great insight 
in with the working with the farmers and the customers to know where they're standing. We've seen a massive rise in plant-based, and I know that DSM has a lot of products for the plant-based sector. How does that fit into the overall picture at DSM? Choice is key. You know, when you think about how food-deprived so many societies are today, it calls to me that we have to do everything we can to ensure that we have an available food supply and, even better, providing choice for the population today. I had read an Oxfam report where there was 11 people die every minute due to hunger. Um, this is a, an unacceptable and a very, very stark number. That's only going to increase unless we can find a way to produce more food sustainably. And so having that food availability, we look at investments in food across the board. So of course, how can we continue to make animal protein affordable, sustainable, and healthy? How do we continue to grow and invest in our plant-based alternatives as well? So I think choice is key and food abundance is something that we should all strive to. And what about the We Make It Possible initiative? How does that fit into all of this? Yeah, the We Make It Possible initiative was an initiative that we launched last year. So we've been looking at our investments. We've been looking at where we're focused from a company perspective. We landed on six sustainability platforms, each of which addresses what we feel were the top six sustainability issues as it relates to where we can make a difference. And those six, I've mentioned a couple of them already, but I'll run through them again. So the first one be improving the quality of food, meat, milk, fish, and eggs, while reducing food loss and waste. We know that there's a number of areas such as eggs breaking on the way to the market that where we could have an impact, you know, if the eggshells are stronger, that's just one area that can easily be impacted from a food loss perspective. Another one would be improving the lifetime performance of farm animals, the longevity of the cow in the herd, for example. The third one would be reducing emissions from livestock. Fourth, making efficient use of natural resources. This is one of my favorites because you know, we've got the digestive enzymes, for example, that allow us to ensure that we're getting every nutrient possible out of those feedstuffs coming in. And it's very important from a producer perspective to make sure they're not overfeeding with feed being such a significant cost of their production, 60, 65%. And so if they can ensure that they're getting every single nutrient that goes in the mouth available to the animal, that's good for the planet, good for the animal, good for the bottom line. The fifth area would be reducing the reliance on marine resources. And then the last one would be helping to tackle the antimicrobial resistance and finding alternatives to antibiotics. And so we've got a number, uh, this is a big focus of, of research for us. So each of these platforms helps to support one another. You know, for instance, the food loss and waste, it contributes 8% of global emissions. So reducing that will also help to lower that footprint of agriculture. Meanwhile, improving the lifetime performance of farm animals you know, would be better immune function, thereby reducing the need to use antibiotics, uh, which result in less chances for antimicrobial resistance to develop. We Make It Possible represents this whole picture approach to sustainability in the industry. We hope that others will also adopt and partner with us in this area. Reducing emissions is extremely high priority on this list of super important things. Without limiting global warming, all other sustainability efforts you know, are going to be really difficult to manage. So in summary, the We Make It Possible initiative encompasses these six sustainability platforms that we feel are the most prevalent facing the animal industry today. And obviously you're doing a lot to help your customers reduce their footprints. Clearly, there must be internal goals as well to reduce your own, I guess. Yes. And that's actually one of the reasons that I joined DSM. Uh, you know, I felt that uh, this was a company that um, we're taking a hard look around what we can do internally and lead by example. So with uh, some of the goals that we have recently announced, by 2030, 
we are seeking to reduce our own greenhouse gas emissions by 30%. We're also aiming for 75% of our power to be renewably sourced, and we're looking to increase our energy efficiency by 1% a year to that date. We've been recognized as leaders in sustainability. DSM is ranked number one globally by Sustainalytics, AAA rating in MSCI with a prime score in the ISS OKM and a leading position in Big Ale. So a lot of other accolades that uh, you know I don't necessarily want to go through may not mean a lot to the audience here. It's just an area that we're focused on in terms of trying to improve our own performance and setting an example. So it's important to note that we see sustainability in terms of both input and output. So that's also why we got behind the We Make a Possible initiative. It's a recognition as well that we can't do it alone. We are making it possible by closely collaborating with the customers. But in order to be fully successful, Jim, we've got to create partnerships and connections that help along the chain. We're focused on that animal production phase, but there are a lot of other phases coming into that, whether it's the inputs from the feedstuffs, from the crop and soybean farmers, you know, and then of course, down the chain, we've got refrigeration and and the supply chain, transport, et cetera. In addition, from a corporate perspective, this September, we recently announced some food system commitments to ensure healthier lives for all through the investment in a lot of our bioscience-based innovations and partnerships, we are focused around the healthy nutrition, healthy livelihoods within the planetary boundaries. So setting up our research focused in these three areas. So from a people perspective, enabling the micronutrient gap of the 800 million vulnerable people to be closed to support the immunity of 500 million people. From a planet perspective, enabling double-digit on-farm livestock emissions reductions. Let me say that again. Double-digit on-farm livestock emission reductions. And then we want to be able to reach 150 million people with nutritious, sustainable, plant-based protein foods. And then lastly, livelihoods. So supporting the livelihoods of half a million smallholder farmers across value chains together with partners. And that brings us to our weekly look at the global dairy markets from Dublin in Ireland with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Hi, Jim. Well, the past week is one that we can certainly describe as being quite uh, bullish, uh, especially for European products and, and especially for the fats, um, including butter. I mean, from a, from a data point of view, there hasn't been a lot out yet. There's been some collections out from Ireland, Spain, Italy, Poland, which, which have all continued to look positive on the lagging milk collection indicators. But um, there's certainly been an increasing concern that collections in the bigger regions, particularly in France, Germany, and even the UK, are continue to be quite weak. And as a result, there's a, a lack of availability of fresh product uh, in the market. The reason why I guess the the milk collections are low and lagging still is some clarity to be sought on this, but it certainly looks like the the cow numbers in at least for France and Germany seem to have uh, seem to be lower than expected, and it probably is a result of increased slaughtering due to higher uh, costs. I mean, certainly um, we all see the news about increasing energy costs across the board, which is certainly impacting farmers as well. And as well as that, obviously, um, fertilizer, which is very energy based, has been going up extremely rapidly as well as as well as feed prices. So costs have been increasing. So even though we're seeing higher commodity prices, which are keeping milk prices pretty well supported, there's a bigger concern over the increasing costs, which seems to be weighing on on milk collections at the moment. I mean, we've seen some very high uh, physical prices. Uh, Cream has been trading up reportedly up around 6,400 euros per, per ton. Butter physical has been trading anywhere from 45 uh, up to and above 4,800 euros per ton. So it's it's really been uh, quite well supported. And that's starting to feed through to the financial markets as well, which have continued to increase. I mean, we're up well over 5% on the week on butter. At the same time, skim milk powder prices are also staying reasonably firm uh, up slightly as well on the week. 
So all in all, um, a positive sentiment out there. Um, now, when you look around the world, we also had a GDT auction this week, which is obviously a very important global indicator in terms of what the um, international price is. And, and that was actually completely flat, un- unchanged overall. There were slight increases on a lot of the products, but uh, whole milk, the, the, the major product, that's whole milk powder, the major products traded on that um, auction was down. And, and it looks like the main reason for the stability and, and, and uh, on the overall and, and the decrease in the whole milk price was because China's really been reducing their activity on the GDT over the last number of auctions and, and they've decreased their participation again this week. And that's particularly surprising now because we're, we're getting into a window where China's normally quite active in the market because there's a they're buying now to to get product in under a free trade agreement uh, with uh, Oceania, which kicks in, in in January. So to see them out of the market and not buying a lot on GDT is a surprise and, and, and one of the main bearish concerns in the market. So we'll just have to continue to keep a, a close eye on that. Thanks, Charlie. We won't catch up with you next week because the next podcast will be put together before next week. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another podcast, and it also means I've got to start working on the next one before I head out, so I'll hopefully have that ready by Friday, without the look at the markets. At least all the interviews are done, and I have a couple to do this week for the one after that, which is all getting way too confusing. So I'd better go and start on that one, although there won't be any news that you may have missed either now that I come to think of it. And I won't be able to come up with anything mildly interesting that happens in my life, with only two days to do that. Unless I can think of something else to talk about, which usually I can. Whether it's interesting or not is another story entirely. And so on that note, I will get back to editing audio, and I hope wherever in the world you may be that you have a great week ahead. Stay safe, take care, and, as always... Thanks for listening.